Well, Peter has so far, uh, in chapter 1, packed a lot of heavy ballast into the bottom of our boats to steady us in the storms and the rough waters. Uh, But now he's going to tell us to set sail as sojourners who, who live in the world but are not of the world and live for the sake of the world. Uh, Peter's given us a song of praise to sing, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he gave us that song to sing as we are in exile, uh, as we share the suffering of Jesus now and share the glory of Jesus later. In the meantime, we sing a song of faith, hope, and love. So, Peter is doing what we said he was going to do. He's declaring the real grace of God in Jesus to us so that by that real grace we might live out the real life of his, as his exiles. And so this morning, before he gets into the details of what it's like to live as individual exiles, as servants at, on your job, uh, at your workplace, as... Um, members of your family, as citizens uh, of a country. Before he gets into that, he's going to talk to us about two uh, pictures of what it's like to be the family of God and then the temple and priests of God. That'll be next week. So that's where we're heading. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this word. Thank you for preserving it for us so that now we can have the good news about Jesus and who he is for us and what he's doing in us and wants to do through us. Um, Would you use your word now to shape this local expression of your church? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, if you look around you today, you can see that this building is not ours. Uh, We are living in the wilderness Um, It is clear uh, that we live as a church in exile. This is not our home. And uh, I love that about this building. Um, I love that it reminds us every week that we're sojourners. This is is not our home. And that's what Peter is going to tell us this week and next week. He's going to continue to remind us that while we are in exile, we are the people of God. Um, and so, as we begin to look at how God expects us to live while we're in exile, we're going to start getting specific commands from Peter, imperatives, uh, things that we must do. And as, we, as he begins to move into that, I want us to remember that Peter's exhortations uh, to live out our real life as exiles are always grounded in his declarations of life in the real grace of God that we have in Jesus through the gospel. Peter is always rooting our doing in our being. He's exhorting us with this one command. Be in the world who you are in Christ. And so I don't want us to hear all these things to, you know, Today's message is going to be a lot about what we as a church are supposed to do. But along the way, Peter's going to keep reminding us, you do this because Jesus has done what he's done. So let's let's keep that 
in mind as we talk today about uh, living in the world as God's family. Uh, why do I think that's what he's, he's doing? Well, listen, uh, this goes all the way back to verse 3 in chapter 1. He's called the Father. He says he's called, it, Peter says he's caused us to be born again to an inheritance. So that's all, that's family language. In verse 14, he calls us children. In verse 17, he says that we call on him as father. We call on God as father. In verses 22 and 23, he tells us uh, to have a sincere brotherly love for one another since we've been born again. And he talks about this, that we've been born again of this perishable seed. And so there's, uh, there's this picture of God giving birth to his people. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, he calls us newborn infants and says that we should crave pure spiritual milk and that we need to grow up. So we're God's family. And so this morning what we're going to see is that since we've been born again into God's family, we have a new way of living in the world and a new way of loving in the world. So let's jump in. Peter starts... Uh, in verse 13, and, and he's going to show us that since we've been born again to a living hope through the living Jesus, now we live out of hope. We live in hope. We have a new way of living in the world. He says in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, the first way that we live in the world is that we live like we have a hopeful future. We live like we have a hopeful future because we do. We set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us. Um, God's family is, you know how people say, oh, you're, you're that family. There's, there's something about that family that's peculiar or, or there's something about their identity as a family that sets them apart. Well, folks, as God's family, we are that family. There is something that sets us apart. We live by hope. We live by setting our minds on hope. And as I mentioned last week, briefly, I want to go into it a little more. Uh, How do we set our hope on the future grace that Jesus will bring? Two things, he says. You do it by preparing your mind for action and by being sober-minded. We, pre- we prepare our minds for action. Remember, last week I mentioned that um, back in those days, literally what it says in Greek is, gird up the loins of your mind. Well, that's a weird thing, but they wore robes back then. So when they wanted to run or they wanted to do some work on a construction project, they would take that robe and pull it up between their legs so that it looked like they had shorts, and they'd tuck the extra into their belt, and then they could be prepared for action. And that's what um, Peter is telling us to do with our minds. Prepare them for action. Prepare them, and set, prepare them to set them on the hope of the full and future grace of Jesus. And so, as I was thinking about, so how do you, how do you set your mind on the hope of the grace that Jesus will bring when he comes and is fully and finally revealed? How do you do that? Do I focus on, I'm going to, 
gin up some hope here. I'm going to just really try hard to hope in Jesus. Well, that's not what we do. You think about a, a little boy waiting for his birthday. Um, and he's going to have a birthday party and there's going to be presents. His focus is not on trying to hope and look forward to the birthday. His focus is on the birthday. His focus is on the party. His focus is on who's going to come and be with me. His focus is most likely on the presents and the cake and the, and the food. He's thinking about what he's hoping for, not about how well he's hoping. Think of the young woman who is uh, preparing for her wedding. She's not thinking about how good am I doing here at... Uh, how, how well am I hoping? She's thinking about the wedding day. She's thinking about being with that man that she loves. So setting your hope on that is setting your mind on what's coming. Um, and so if you wonder, am I hoping enough in Jesus? That's not the question. The question is, are you thinking about Jesus? Set your mind, prepare your mind for action to set it on Jesus. So go, one of, one of the ways you do that is look at him. You say, where is he? Well, right now he's in this book. Peter's just given us in those first 12 verses glorious pictures of who Jesus is as our living hope, as our inheritance, as the one who's refining our faith even now as we're going through suffering, as the one who suffered for us but is now experiencing the glory that we will one day experience. So go back to Peter and go back to all the rest of the Bible and set your mind on the vision of Jesus that the writers of Scripture give you. Look at Jesus. Look at him in the Bible. Look at him when he's preached and taught um, look at him when you talk about him together in your small group or you talk w- about him together with a friend over coffee. Look at Jesus. But you can also set your mind on him by talking to him and about him. Talk to him. Set your hope on him as you talk to him. And then long for him. Well, that's weird. How do I long for Jesus? Think about this. Just take some time sometime and think about it. One day, one day you and I will get to hug him. One day you will get to embrace him and have him embrace you. One day, if he has a beard, you're going to feel, feel his beard on your face. If he's wearing a robe, you get to bury your face in his chest. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what he smells like. But I do know one day, the hands that should have crushed me are going to hold me. The hands that should have crushed me are going to wipe away my tears. Do you ever stop and think about that? If you think about it, your heart will start to hope for it. Set your mind fully on Jesus. And then, he says, be sober-minded. In other other words, 
Don't get drunk on other hopes. Be sober-minded. If you get intoxicated by other hopes, other things that you hope for, other things that, that grab your attention and that you constantly think about and wish for and, and want, if you do that, it can dull your desire and your delight, your desire for and your delight in Jesus. And so I would ask you, what hope has a hold of your heart? What hope has dulled your delight in all that God is for you in Jesus? I don't know what that could be. Ask the Spirit. I dare you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Am I getting drunk on other hopes? What are they? And then turn your, turn your heart and your focus back to Jesus. Um, so, we live in a new way because we live as people who have a hopeful future, but we also live um, in a different way because we live like our Holy Father. He goes on to say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we live like our Holy Father. Um, Peter says that as obedient children, actually what that phrase is, is children of obedience, as if obedience is the parent. If you've been born again because God has caused you to be born again to a living hope, then you are a child of obedience. Uh, it's it's the opposite of what Paul said in Ephesians 2 when he said that we, like the rest of mankind, were children of wrath. Now that God has made us alive together in Christ Jesus, we are children of obedience. So you are a child of obedience if you're a child of God. Um, again, Peter's saying, be who you are because of whose you are. You're a child of obedience. And then he, he says... A negative thing and then a positive thing. He says, first, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, do not let your life be shaped by the desires you, you had when you didn't know God. Do not let your life be shaped by the desires you had when you didn't know God. And so I, I ask us, are you aware of the shaping power of your former desires? Are you aware of that power? Peter says later on in chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's the same word that he says, the passions of your former ignorance. Abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. And my question for us is, are you aware of the war? Are you aware that the passions of your former ignorance the desires you had when you did not know God, do you feel the attack? Because Peter says it's happening. And so I want to ask you to hear the Spirit say through Peter, when you're tempted to have those former passions, hear the Spirit say through Peter, that is not who you are. Whatever it is that you are tempted to do, that's the old way of living before you met Jesus. 
hear the Spirit say, that's not who you are anymore. And then you say, with the Spirit, you say, that's not who I am. I'm not going to go there. So, don't let your life be shaped by the desires you had when you didn't know God. And then the positive side of this, instead, be holy like your Father is holy. As He who called you is holy, you also be holy. Holy means to be set apart. For God is set apart in His nature. He's different. He's distinct from all of us, from all of His creation. But it also means to be holy in conduct. So, God's conduct is also holy because he is holy. But it's the same for his children. We, he has set us apart by causing us to be born again as new creatures into his family, new creation. And therefore, since he set us apart with a new nature, he sets us apart with a new way of living, a new conduct. And so I ask you again to pray and ask the Spirit to show you what, what would it look like for me to live the set-apart life that you have already given me? How can I live out of this new nature that you've given me as a child of God? And as you, as you work on those two things, of not being shaped by your former passions and being shaped into the holiness of your Father... Remember this, that Peter said, he who called you is holy. Remember that your father who called you will also carry you. He says, Peter says at the end of the letter, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If God has already planned to complete the work of your holiness, then he will carry you through the present work that he's doing right now. So remember that. So, we live as if we have a hopeful future, because we do. We live like our Holy Father, and then third, we live in healthy fear. Now this sounds strange, but listen to what he says. Verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. Conduct yourselves with fear. Fear of what? Fear of God? Well, let's think about that for a minute. He says that the judge is our father, who in his great love for us gave his son as our savior. So we will stand before the judge who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So that could give us reason to fear, but, but as John says in 1 John 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney with the Father, and it's Jesus, the righteous, and he's the payment for our sins. So as we stand before the judge one day, we will know that Jesus has paid for our record of law-breaking, and then he's provided us his record of law-keeping. So ultimately, there will be nothing to fear, even though we will stand before the judge who judges impartially. I'm not convinced that it necessarily means to live in fear of God in the sense of, 
he's going to judge me because we already know that he's judged Jesus for us. So perhaps it's fear of something else. Look at verse 18 again. He says, conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Then he goes on to say that this Christ, who was your ransom payment, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. And through him, your believers in God, who, and God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So, if we're to conduct ourselves with fear, knowing all of those things about Jesus, knowing that we were ransomed by this precious blood of Christ, who is the precious Son of God, why should that make us fear? And I, John Piper had an illustration for this that I found very helpful and compelling. He said, imagine that you have a teenage daughter who's about 16 or 17. She's been a little bit trouble. Um, you've had some issues and you've had some rough times with her, but uh, at some point she decides to run away. And in the process, she gets kidnapped. And her captors want you to pay a ransom for her. But the ransom is far beyond anything you could afford. And you decide, as a, as a father, because you love this girl, you liquidate everything. You sell everything. You cash in your retirement. You, you sell it all. You put all that cash in a suitcase and you go to the appointed place that they've said to, to take it, and you set it in that place, and you stood back and watch, and the captors send your daughter to pick up the suitcase of money so that she can be free. But when she does, she picks up the suitcase of money, walks back toward her captors, puts her arm around the kidnapper, looks back at you and gives you a gesture that I can't do in church and leaves you forever with your money. Piper says, that's what you should fear. That's what I should fear. That after being ransomed with the priceless, precious blood of Jesus, that I would ever go back to the feudal ways of my forefathers. That I would ever run back to the passions of my ignorance to the days before I knew God. Fear that. Fear treating the sacrificial love of God, your Father, with such horrible disdain. Tremble at the thought that you would ever conduct your life in a way that devalues the ransom that was paid by the precious blood of Christ. Be horrified at the prospect that you would practice again the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers whether those ways be acts of sin or whether those ways actually be uh, self-righteous acts of self-salvation. Be horrified that we would ever treat the, cost, the, the, cost, the costly sacrifice of Jesus in that way. So, 
those are the three ways that we have a new way of living in the world. And then finally, he says we have a new way of loving in the world. But uh, I'm going to save that for next week. I want to stay right there on those words about the sacrifice of Jesus. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You were not ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. This Jesus... whom God the Father paid for your ransom with, was revealed for you. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The story of Jesus is not about us, but it is for us. It's about Him. But it's about Him for our sake. That He would include us into His family, that he would wrap us into his story is unbelievable. And so every Sunday morning, we gather as his family to tell the story again and to be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed so that we, like Jesus, could be sons of God. Father, thank you for this good news Um, we pray now that as we meet together at the family table that you would encourage us um, by showing us Jesus in this bread and in this cup, by showing us uh, this is the grace you've given us, and if you've given us this, we can't imagine the grace that you will give us when Jesus comes back and he is fully and finally revealed forever. So let this meal be for us um, a look back at the grace you've given us and a look forward to the grace you will give us when we sit down again with Jesus in the flesh and we share a meal with him and we know the embrace of our Father because he loves us. So would you take this bread and this cup and set it apart from their normal everyday use and let them be for us um, a sustaining grace um, as we live as exiles. In Christ's name I pray, amen.